really knowing your money and understanding what makes you happy. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with a pair of shoes making you happy. I'll give that an amen. But understanding what brings you happiness from your money is the most important thing. Welcome to the Court of Guard podcast, the podcast where no topic is off limits. My name is Patricia Bright. I'm a content creator on YouTube, a self-proclaimed entrepreneur and founder of The Break Platform. On this podcast, we're going to have some amazing and successful guests who are all trailblazers in their own individual field. From models to business owners to founders, experts and influencers like myself, I'm going to find out what it's like to be there, what makes them tick, laugh and how they got to where they are and I'm even going to be brave enough to ask them what's in their wallet. As they say, honesty is their best policy and hopefully you're about to be caught off guard. In this week's episode, we are joined by Alex Stedman, founder of the award-winning blog turned website, The Frugality. This episode is all about one of my favorite topics, which is money, how to be smart with it, how to make it, and also managing a low salary. It's something that a lot of people do have to deal with. We're also going to be talking about one of my other favorite subjects, which is fashion. We're going to be talking about working in the fashion industry, expectations versus reality, starting out on a low salary such as 16000 a year and what it's really like working at a fashion magazine. We're also going to talk about working as a freelancer versus working for yourself as Alex created one of the most successful websites in the world while she was working a full-time job. We also get some amazing tips from her about buying and renovating your first property and getting the most value for your money. I love speaking to Alex and love how transparent she is when it comes to the numbers. This is so important. You're going to love this episode. Now, before we get into this episode with Alex, I'm going to need you to subscribe if you're not subscribed already, because we have even more incredible episodes coming along. You're going to also love the one with Freddie Harrell. So subscribe. Hello and welcome to Court of God. My name is Patricia Bright and I'm here with the amazing Alex Stedman. It is so good to have you on. Oh, thanks for having me. So Alex is amazing. I'm going to give a bit of a lowdown on Alex before we get into this. So bear with me. I know some people don't enjoy it when people like read out their accolades, but I do think it's so important to let people know who they are and what they're about. Alex is a freelance fashion stylist and the founder and editor of award-winning and iconic website, The Frugality. The Frugality, which started out as a blog, is a stylish website about sensible spending and saving up for the things you love, whatever those things are. Through The Frugality and her social platforms, Alex covers interiors, money, fashion, beauty, food, all with a focus on affordability and style. She has won accolade after accolade, including the Amara IBA for Best Interiors Lifestyle Blog and Blogger's Choice Award in 2018. She's also been featured in publications like The Times, BBC and Bustles. Alex is hugely passionate about talking about personal finances and has been pushing for conversations around money that everyone can get involved in, no matter their financial situation. So Alex, it is great to have you on. Let us get straight into it. 
I see a lot of similarities based on some of the things that I've seen, looking at your Instagram and the way you kind of think about money. I feel like there's not a lot of people who are as candid or as transparent, particularly when it comes to women in this space. Oh, thank you. But also, I think I always feel like I have to have a disclaimer almost Mm -hmm. next to every time. I suppose every time you mention affordability, because it's relative. A hundred percent. And that, I suppose, sometimes my struggle. And obviously, sometimes I get people that go, that's not frugal. And that's not, that's too expensive. And, and that's the whole point. You know, frugal's relative and it's different to everyone. And yes. for me, I just wanted to take away the stigma and shame of not having much money or what some people consider enough money. Yeah. And even frugality as well. What is it? Is it a state of mind? Is it the way you spend? Is it an attitude? What's frugal to one might not be frugal to another, but it's a principle that works, right? For anyone. It wasn't in the British kind of consciousness at all and I think as well even in America all of the frugal accounts are all to do with like coupons and penny pinching and and it just for me I just felt like it was a word that I just thought could be kind of yeah multifaceted and applied to so many things and actually I've noticed recently last few years more and more social media accounts of using the word frugal which is amazing because it has become more universal. And I 100% agree I mean I used to see the word frugal as like, you know, couponing. Basically, you know, you see people with the books of their coupons, like reams after reams. But nowadays, I see it as just being fiscally smart with, you know, how you choose to spend your money and also how you want to invest it and use it. That benefits you. What I love, and I really want to get into it, is your background in fashion. Yeah. You did the grind. You did the grind. (laughs) You worked at Condé Nast, and you've been at a lot of these big magazines that are the dream for so many women. Yeah. But do you know what? Let me not get ahead of myself. (laughs) We're going to do an ice shaker. That is what I normally do at the top of the podcast to allow us just to shake it up a little bit, and then we can get into lots more. So this is a random question, but do you have a will and is it something you've thought about doing? No, I do not have a will. And I've only thought about it probably since I've had a child. And also suddenly, you know, when you get I get to my 30s and suddenly you're like, oh God, actually I'm getting older and probably should think about it. <laughs> yeah. We only did life insurance last year, my husband and I. We've never thought about it before. We've never been able to afford it before. Same with a pension. I feel like the last two years has been when I'm like, okay, I've, I've felt, I suppose, the most financially secure that I've ever felt. So that's when you, I suppose, start to get the things in place. Sure. So no will. But yeah, I think I'm pregnant. So once I have my second child, oh, I'm oh, thinking, wow. hopefully, think about the will then, I think. Yeah. Welcome to the world. <laughs> two kids. <laughs> More kiddies. <laughs> so what was it like really working with fashion magazines? Did you ever experience any Devil Wears Prada moments that you can share? It is a mad world. As an assistant, once I had to find someone I worked with a fancy dress outfit for a party and I had to meet them off a train with the outfit because they were coming back from Paris and I had to They really needed to go to that party. Yeah, they really needed to go straight to the party. So I had to meet them. And it was like during working hours. (laughs) Yeah, on on a Friday with a bag of fancy dress clothing that I'd like sourced because they wanted to be chic fancy dress. So I had to get it from like brands. It wasn't like just a, you know, from a costume shop. I had to like call it in from like designers. 
full-on designer fancy dress well as they do but actually that's fun although now it sounds a bit crazy I mean that was a project that I had to do I mean how great yeah like is it really work <laughs> you're like yeah this is exactly. fun. I can do this yeah what's the most expensive thing you regret buying in your 20s everything that I bought that was worth anything in my 20s so I worked um I did a few jobs as well I, I did um, shop work I worked in um matches I did PR for them for a bit for a few years love matches so I would buy a few designer pieces like always like in the sale 80% off and I bought loads of things I didn't need because I was working with loads of like fabulous girls and would just buy everything you get wrapped up in it do you think that a lot of influencers are broke or propped up by their rich parents husbands and are pretending to live a lifestyle that they can't actually afford I feel like this is shade to even myself (laughs) I, I feel like I, I follow people that are really honest and and I suppose they're probably I know there's a lot of stories about people catching up on social media and trying to prove themselves and trying to be something they're not but I don't get that vibe personally because the people that I follow yeah are really open and honest but you do hear of stories and I mean I suppose one of the reasons when I started my blog back in 2012 was because I mean this was before social media really there was no blogs that were representing, I suppose, for me, like a normal person. Everything was really high end and all designer handbags and amazing trips, you know, across islands. And, and there I was just in my flat and teaching, <laughs> like making my meals, making my lunch every day at work. Even though I had a glamorous job, my life didn't reflect that. Love it. Love that you answered those questions. What I really want to do is talk about your experience working within the fashion industry because you shared that you were on a salary of £16,000 for four years. Can we just talk about this? Yeah. This is crazy but not unheard of within the fashion industry, within PR. And I know from the outside that sometimes it looks like the place to be, but I do think it's almost like an industry that is for people who have a, who come from a background of money potentially because they can afford to live on 16,000 yeah. a year. So how did you get into the industry and how did you stay so long and afford it? Yeah, I mean I suppose that's the problem is because of the way the industry works it relies on um unpaid internships, unpaid work Crazy. experience. So then it perpetuates the kind of person that's in the industry. I mean I was Definitely the only person whose husband wasn't supporting me financially. I had privilege in the fact that as well, my parents lived just outside of London. So I could commute in easily and they wouldn't charge me rent. So I had that privilege on my side to be able to work for free. So I still had my Saturday job. So that would pay for my travel. I mean, I still kept my Saturday job for the first few years of working, actually. So you had a job and another job just so you could basically stay within the industry. Yeah. Wow. And then all of my jobs came through recommendations because I have quite a good work ethic. I I really care. (laughs) I'm always there, first in, last to leave. Not saying that's the best work ethic to have nowadays. I don't believe that as much. (laughs) But as an intern, I was very kind of, you know, would do my job to like the best, best ability. But yeah, but then all of those jobs start, they all start at a really low income. I mean, I, I know there's there's some other jobs as well that started lower than than my first wage. They, they think most of all, I think a lot of the interns are on minimum wage, which is 
maybe eleven, twelve thousand pounds a year. It's wild. Actually, I remember when I studied international fashion marketing and I thought I wanted to be in the fashion industry. And then I remember people getting like summer jobs or internship and they were all doing either unpaid internships or some were working at Vogue. And I remember that like their salary was like 9,000 a year. Yeah. And I was like, no, I I can't afford this. Like I can't afford to be in this industry. (laughs) I'm not made like that. And I, I wasn't in the position. So I completely pivoted like where I went to because of what my financial situation was. I was just too broke to be in fashion. (laughs) Which is crazy, isn't it? Because then you only get a certain viewpoint and you don't get people, you know, from mixed backgrounds and, you know, just offering amazing creativity, you know, and all these people that couldn't pursue something where they, you know, could have had amazing talent. And I think that's just such a shame. And it's funny because when I was at uni, I remember... I was doing work experience in my summer holidays and my Easter holidays, all unpaid. And my friend who was studying economics was like, isn't it about time you've got like a paid job now? (laughs) And I was like so insulted at how I was like, "Uh, this is how it works. You just don't get it. And now I'm like, yes, of course. That was a completely reasonable thing to ask to be paid to work. Yeah. But we're so ingrained that that's how it is, that we don't look for change. It's the industry. Yeah. I actually heard this. Um, the guy who was Anna Winter's assistant for loads of years, I can't remember what his name is, like Andrew or something. He came out with his memoirs about working under her. And he said that, you know, under a certain pay grade, like everyone was really paid quite low. But above that pay grade, there was an article that came out about it that people were getting like 300, 400,000 a year. And then people who worked for like legacy um, editors or legacy creative directors, they're actually on like a really high pension and they're being paid residual revenue right now while people work for like pittance and then they're like being propped up for a really long time. So, oh, yeah, there's so many discussions. I would say that's definitely American editors. Okay. UK editors, I I mean, I believe it's still nowhere near. Just because I've worked with some American fashion editors and they would tell me what they were on. I was like, oh, okay, that's definitely more. But even, you know, in the UK, you know, a lot of the magazine publishing houses are owned by, you know, some of the richest families in America. And the interns are struggling to buy lunch and save up. I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? And I I think it's definitely, I used to be of the mindset, that's just how it is. That's fashion. That's just what you have to do, the risk you take to do a job you love. But now I'm like, why should you be paid badly just because it's a fun job? I mean, it's still a job. You're still working. um, You're still, you know, should be valued as an employee. I mean, I'm trying to separate that as well. I think, and same with social media, I'm sure you find People think it's mad that we get paid to just, well, what they think is just swan around and try products and go on holiday. I mean, 50-50, there's some swanning. <laughs> but, you know, still you work really hard and you've created amazing platforms, but also you've created an amazing life for yourself from working hard and you should get to enjoy that and not have shame or guilt. And I think that's a really valid point. I think if we talk about shame and guilt around money, particularly as women, I think that we're sometimes shamed for wanting to earn money, for talking about it, for asking for more. And it's something that's considered just not ladylike to do. So you're doing what you're doing. What encouraged you to say, you know what, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to talk about money. I'm going to be 
unapologetic about it. When I started my blog, no one was talking about what I was talking about. And I remember having some meetings with PRs and suggesting, going, oh, I was thinking about doing this site about this. And they were like, I'd read that. So I just started and I did it on the side. Again, I was working full time and I did my blog on the side um, because I didn't make money from my blog for years. (laughs) Yeah. And this is where blogs really do start off as passion projects and even YouTubers and influencers, you're working and then you're doing this side hustle. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and then I suppose that's when passion really shines through because if I was in it for the money, I would have given up, you know, ages ago, (laughs) but I just really, I suppose because I was working at magazines at the time as well. And I was working in the main fashion section, which is all the designer looks and you know, negotiating looks with Milan and, you know, getting Chanel runway looks sent to a hotel in LA and then we'd shoot it and I'd package it back up so it could go to another magazine to be shot for a campaign. And and then obviously my real life didn't reflect that in any shape or form. So I really enjoyed the freedom of actually being able to talk about some, you know, like a mushroom soup I made at the weekend that could feed <laughs> six people. And yeah. I took it for lunch and it was saved me money. And I I feel I really enjoyed, I suppose, the dichotomy of my work and my life. And I think it's really nice to have outlets because obviously you work for a magazine, you're a spokesperson for that magazine as well. And that's what's amazing about social media is you can have your own opinions and represent yourself. And that's there's something so freeing about that. Yeah. So this is interesting. Did you ever feel like you had like a juxtaposition between like working for you know, high brands and magazines with glamorous stuff. And then over here having a mushroom soup in the evening, it's like, you have to be one thing publicly focused, but you're actually living a completely different life Yeah. in private. How did you find that? And did you let people in your team know what you were doing? Well, I think there's definitely like an unspoken rule amongst like fashion assistants, because we all know, we all know the drill. We all know what we earn and we all know that it's very hard to get pay rises. It's very hard to get a promotion. Magazine world as well as I have always worked in a recession. I was made redundant in 2008, kind of worked through that. So we kind of always have that camaraderie there. But in the actual world, I mean, obviously, I would work with really successful photographers in LA who just live in these like amazing beach houses in Malibu. And to save money, we'd shoot in their house. And they'd just be like, oh, yeah, we'll just shoot by the pool and we'll do this. And, and like the conversations they're having, and like obviously imposter syndrome really sets in because yes. I'm just like a girl from, yeah, South London, like had a pot noodle for lunch. And, <laughs> you know, and everyone's just talking about all these amazing experiences they've had. and Like being on a yacht in Saint-Tropez. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. I remember someone, I went to an appointment once, I was talking about being on a yacht with P. Diddy. And I was just like, oh, okay. And she's like, and then my friend Sienna said, it was like Sienna Miller. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I just nod. (laughs) And and it's funny, but now because I suppose from my platform, people know me as Alex and as a frugality. People know you before they actually meet you. Yeah. But they already get what you're about. So you don't have to put on this bravado or pretend. It is what it is. You are what you are. And and everyone accepts that and now obviously I work you know for brands as the frugality so it's kind of always in the conversation and everyone knows what you're about which I think is yeah again it's really liberating it so is yeah so how did you make that switch so you were working four or five years you were you were in the trenches really at that point in time 
how comfortable did you feel making the switch out of industry to like pursuing your own thing and actually freelancing slash working for yourself? It got to the point basically where I loved my blog and I really enjoyed doing it. Social media had just started taking off and I was really enjoying that. And I really loved my obviously full-time job, but I basically, I couldn't do both a hundred percent. And I was working, I was doing both about 70 and I was like, this is just, isn't me. And it didn't feel right. The magazine I was working at the time had changed a lot as well. I had so much more responsibility and I had a promotion and it was great, but I just felt kind of just a bit trapped. And I just Mm -hmm. thought, I just I need to try something new. And funnily enough, when I handed in my notice, they didn't believe me. I've done that twice. I think maybe I'm not very um, convincing. I get, I get a bit nervous with confrontation. Oh, wow. But I've only had three jobs and I've, I've handed my notice in twice and once I was made redundant. And both times they didn't believe me. They were like, no, no, they didn't let You're me go. <laughs> and I, both times I ended up working for them a bit longer because I'm, I can never say no. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> but that means that you must be a great worker then. They must love you. Yeah, or, you know, take advantage, you know, read into that, (laughs) what you will. But, I mean, yeah, I think I got to the point where I just wasn't doing both well. And, I mean, we do all know as well, I mean, in the fashion industry, it's one of the few jobs where if you go freelance, you're guaranteed to earn more money than working full time. Okay. Pretty much, even if you don't work that much. (laughs) Really? Because, yeah, just the day rate. I mean, even when I worked on magazines full time, I used to take days off, like holiday days to do freelance work. Like I would take a week off to do like a seven day campaign. I'm presuming your boss wouldn't know that then. No, no, they would. They they kind of got it. I was always still freelance as well as employed. You can be both. So um, they kind of knew the deal. Um, So I would do that and I would work for a week and kind of earn my month's money, you know, in like five days. That's wild. So basically you'd be working as, you know, as a job in a magazine, but need more money, hustle hard, get jobs on the side and make more than what you would make in a month. Yeah. And that was like my side thing. Was that as a stylist? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what was the going stylist rate? I know you're quite candid about money. When I was an assistant, you'd get paid between like 100 and 150 pounds a day for assisting styling work. Yeah. Whereas on a magazine editorial, you'd be earning 50 to 70 pounds a day. And that's that obviously, crazy. yeah. Um, and then as a stylist, you could, you'd probably earn 400 pounds a day, 500 pounds a day. I've heard about these numbers, even to like 800 to 1,000. Yeah. So if you work five, five days, I mean, that was, yeah, that was like my month's money. <laughs> and it, I mean, it's obviously it is harder. I think obviously commercial work is you know you're they get their money's worth. <laughs> you yeah. like your work to the bone. So I went freelance in two thousand and fifteen, maybe. So I did freelance styling, and then between that, I carried on my blog, and it just gave me a bit more flexibility. But I haven't styled now for. A year after Peggy was born, I decided to not do the styling anymore. And now I just focus on my blog. That's actually not that long that you stopped, though. A year is not that long ago. You've really gone basically headfirst into social of late. Really. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I just probably just work less. <laughs> probably the same math. <laughs> we love it. There was too much traveling for me. And then it was, I was getting these big jobs that would require me to be, you know, out of the country for like 10 to 14 days. Which is great when you get them because it's like a bulk of money and day rate and you get all your food and that's the great thing about being on a work trip. You get all your food and drinks paid for. 
So you save money by being out as well. Yeah. And obviously you're in a nice hotel. So like you get, you know, green smoothies in the morning and lovely quinoa salads (laughs) for lunch. So that's great. But yeah, for me, it was just too much a time away from my family, but also time away from my website because obviously social media is daily. And I don't know when I was shooting a campaign in St. Lucia and it just it just felt really jarring for me because obviously as the frugality, I'd never be on holiday in St. Lucia. But there I was in this five-star resort and I had a butler. It was very strange, (laughs) but it was amazing. So was it that St. Lucia trip that made you decide, okay, right, time to pack it in, (laughs) time to go head first? Probably got a few. I was like, oh, maybe not. Maybe, maybe there's a, I think I did a few South Africa trips and yeah, it was amazing. And obviously I got to travel the world, but being able to focus purely on my website and my social is much more enjoyable and I don't miss the traveling I appreciate it and it was amazing but I don't miss the luxury trips it's, you know time to make room for other people as well to very very true so let's take it back a bit before this do you feel like by nature you're a frugal person do you feel like this is something that is you're either like that or you're not like that I've definitely been terrible with money in the past I suppose you learn a lot from family and family values um my nan is very frugal you know she would like knit all all clothes including like <laughs> swimming trunks for my dad wow um so he had yeah like woolen breathable knitted. yeah beautiful <laughs> she was a seamstress she worked in a factory and she yeah she made everything and everything got a new lease of life and every scrap of food was saved. And so I definitely learned a lot of that from my nan. Um, But I think working in fashion, I think also made me really frivolous as well in my younger days, because my first job was in Notting Hill working at matches. And obviously you're around loads of people with money and they all lived in zone one and everyone went for cocktails after work. And I was 21 and I'd never even been to Notting Hill before. And then I was just opened up to this world and everyone was, you know, buying Balenciaga and the sale and, you know, living beyond our means. So I think I definitely, and obviously I was living at home with my parents at the time. So obviously all my wage was just like money that I could spend on clothes. Um, so I definitely, I think I thought again that the money conversation didn't apply to me because I didn't earn enough to be able to worry. So I was like, why not? I'll just go on holiday and I'll just spend it. And it wasn't, I suppose, until probably when I met my now husband and we were both kind of on the same wage really. And we were both struggling. And I think we were like, okay, something's gonna, something's got to give. If <laughs> Struggle we want up to. together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think being able to talk about things with him as well, probably helped me really address money. And there was no shame because he didn't have any more than I did. So we kind of were just really honest with each other. And I think that really helped. And then the satisfaction of getting out of debt um, and and actually being able to save a little bit is, is so great that I, I suppose, kind of clung on to that. And actually, I really mm-hmm. enjoy saving money. And, and now, I suppose, because of social media, you get people that, again, agree with you and have the same kind of outlook on life. And that's like, amazing. So one thing actually I thought I'd ask you then, you mentioned your now husband, that you kind of talked about money. Is that something, and I think that all girls, like or whoever's dating someone, you need to talk about money to your partner and it shouldn't be a, a topic of embarrassment because I think they say that's the number one reason why people get divorced. 
because of the issues they have around money. So how did you approach those conversations? And was it awkward? My husband's really open and really, he's really honest and he's really easy to talk to. And and I think he was just always as honest with me. And it was funny, actually, because I was just listening to your podcast with Donna. And okay, I yes. was like, oh, God, she'll be ashamed by our first date. <laughs> um. <laughs> no, her first date was wild. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's was crazy. <laughs> she she would definitely uh, like have a thing to say to me about our first date, but I'm sure she wouldn't mind. We went to Nando's uh, for our first date, and we went to a bar. And basically, we got there, and they didn't take card, so I had to pay for, like everything. Ooh. Which, but it's funny because it never ever ever crossed my mind. Like that's really normal to me. And like yeah. Chris is a great guy. I would like. Not even, I don't know, it didn't even cross my mind that, oh, I was just like, oh, that's fine. I've got money. I've got cash. And this is an interesting thing. Like, there's this debate of, you know, should a guy pay? Should a girl pay? It doesn't really matter so much if you think that it's going to go somewhere. Yeah. The issue is if you feel like you've wasted your time and it isn't someone you want to see again. You're like, oh, I've just paid for this. Yeah, I wouldn't have spent £8.50 on you. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but it's funny because obviously that's like hilarious how our date started. I had... Um, I had to pay and, and we, we actually split everything with and I think that comes from I suppose we've always known each other when we didn't have much money and sure. even if it's not that much money sometimes I knew that he couldn't afford to not have it because I knew I couldn't afford to not have it like if we spent like 50 quid I'd be like oh I owe you 25 Right. Because I'd be like, at the same time, I would know that actually that £25 matters to me. <laughs> because we'd both be in the same situation. Yeah. Both struggle. So my husband was, he was an actor when I first met him. And he did like a side jobs. Um, so he worked the night shift at Top Man. And then he'd work in the day in a bar. So two creatives together. I know. The rest <laughs> Sounds like disaster. a financial mess. I know. <laughs> it's not good. But we work together now, which is That's so hilarious. Cool. And yeah. you work with your sister, don't you? I work with my sister and I've worked with my husband in the past. We don't work together now. <laughs> We're not good working together, but he does help out here and there and um, a few other people as well. So I have learned to make it balance with the people around me and also to know like when they should be involved and then when they shouldn't be involved. Yeah, that's important. But now you're married, do you kind of have like a joint bank account or you work together with your money? Because I had this convo with me and my husband. We don't have a joint bank account. No, we don't. But we're we're highly aware of what each other is responsible for. So say I'm mm. responsible for the mortgage, he pays all the electrics and all the bills that happen. I haven't got any clue what they are. And I just yeah. do the mortgage and then he manages the rest. So it is definitely very 50-50 in a way. But yeah. We kind of know that each person is responsible for what they're responsible yeah, for. Yeah, and based on trust as well. Yeah, for sure, know. 100%. Yeah. We don't have a joint bank account, um, probably because I just can't be bothered to set one up. And also, I didn't. I half changed my name and I really regret it. So, like, some things are in Stedman and some are in my married name. And it's, I always have to go in with, like, a passport and a marriage certificate. Some things, it's a nightmare. I kind of wish I'd just done the whole thing. Oh, my gosh. I've done the same. I know. Oh, it's so annoying. Like, people are like, oh, are you Mrs. This or Mrs. That? Or I'm like, oh, don't worry. It's my maiden name. Oh, it's my married yeah, name. Yeah, but also, I'm like, it's 2020. Why can't you figure out that, you know, I can be married but keep want to keep my maiden name? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for very... sure. Or have multiple names. Yeah, it's our choice. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, so we don't have a joint bank account. And then we, we have, um, a bank account that's in my bank account, basically, that we put kind of a certain amount of money in both equal and then mortgage and all bills come out of that. But I'm in control of that because I'm a control freak. So I like to check, always check that we've got enough in there and oh. top it up when necessary. So you're, you're official. See, I'm so, I'm good with money, but bad with money. So I just let him manage it because he's really organised and I'm a scatterbrain thinking about all other stuff. But I know that he's always yeah. on top of what's going on there. And I feel like I'm also an oxymoron when it comes to money. Like I like saving, I like investing, I like making money. Yes. But I also still like spending. So maybe I'm the opposite of frugal. No, not at all though, because I mean, the fact that you have a spreadsheet though is, I think that's the important thing is knowing your money. I think that's okay. If you if you know you've got enough money to spend on something, great. But just understanding your money is like the most important thing. I was very impressed with your spreadsheets. I mean, I am terrible at spreadsheets. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, I'm terrible. <laughs> no, I love a good spreadsheet. Let's talk a little bit more about the business side and how you kind of transitioned from, you know, working to now really being self-employed slash freelancing. So do you feel like there's a difference between the freelancing that you were doing and but also now I presume you're actually running a business? How's that transition been? And yeah, what's the things you're learning from doing that? I think you learn so much, I think, just through working and living and growing. And I definitely as a freelance, I enjoyed it, but I prefer working for myself so much more. I'm a creative person, so I found it quite hard often, especially commercial freelance styling, working for brands where the creativity and the ideas weren't mine. So, I mean, I think a lot of people have visions of what they think freelance styling involves. So, when you work on a magazine, when you're an edit fashion editor or a stylist, from my experience, you are basically the art director, the creative director. So you will see the shows and the trends and you will come up with the concept of a fashion shoot. You will decide where it's shot, what photography you're using, what model. You will do the mood boards for that shoot. You will decide the clothes that come in and request the looks. And essentially, the whole shoot is your baby it's your concept interestingly I feel like the photographers get most of the credit but magazines the fashion editor pretty much they get the photographer on board and they get you know for sure like Edward Enerful would get the whole team together but then you go to freelance styling and you are very much a stylist there is usually an art director who decides the team and the model and the look and the mood board and as a stylist, you are simply there pretty much to dress someone. That is right. it. So you steam, you get them dressed, and you just make sure that there's no creases for the shots. So it's actually very uncreative. Don't you get to pick the pieces? No, if it's a commercial job, I mean, especially for like a high street brand, because they're selling the product, right. it has to be that exact product and you have to put it with those shoes because those shoes are the only ones that are available at that time of Got it. So sometimes you get given what they call like a Bible, which is literally all the looks and like the numbers. And you just have to like basically put the numbers together and go, oh, it's this top with these shoes, with these trousers. So often you don't even get to style them. And it's crazy because you might be like earning your money and, you know, you're working for yourself. But because you're not able to be as creative as you want to be, it still doesn't feel how you want to feel when you say you're working for yourself or it doesn't feel like the dream because 
it's it's hustle and work at the end of the day and you have a client that you have to deliver for all the time yeah and you have that external pressure I suppose as well because I think as well I mean at magazines obviously you're not paid very much and it's a bit of a a crazy industry where you don't really worry too much about I mean I'd see people flicking through the magazine and I'd I'd see them like flicking through a page that I'd styled and they literally just flick past it (laughs) and I'm like oh I spent like weeks on that shoot but that's how it's kind of you know it's just part of a magazine and sometimes they're there because they're reading a feature they're not they don't care about the fashion whereas when you're styling a product you're selling that product so it's really on you to make that piece looks good and if that you know, those clothes on that shoot don't sell very well. You probably won't get booked again. It's a real responsibility. Yeah, like the team, because it's there's real money involved. You know, it's, they're spending a lot more money on their shoots. So they need it to sell their clothes. So it's just a different kind of feelings. And you, yeah, you don't get as much freedom. So that was your first transition was from working in company to then freelancing. And then you then made another transition to then working for yourself full time on your blog and your social how did that work and how different is it so that's why I think I decided it wasn't so much for me I think I was working more on my blog and more on my website and I was getting more jobs where people would kind of you know what do you think Alex and and I could go back to brands and go well that doesn't really work I don't feel like that feels natural I think it would be better if we shot here and maybe we did this and people were listening and people were engaged and then allowing you to express yourself and, you know, think out outside the box and a cringy yeah. um, <laughs> um, cliche. But, you know, I think it did, that did feel really good. And I started to, I suppose as well, the imposter syndrome dropped a bit because people were actually asking my opinion. Yeah. And I didn't feel like, yeah, like I was just thrown on set with all these new people every day. Like it was something that I knew. I, you know, I knew my traffic. I knew my readers. I knew like who read my website. I read comments. So I really understood my audience and that gave me the confidence to then really kind of work on things that would you know engage and be received well and that was actually much more satisfying than you know styling a campaign where actually I never really sometimes I wouldn't even see it or or sometimes it'd get dropped whereas you're in control that does happen isn't it even with me I work on some projects even now sometimes with a brand or a company And you kind of have to leave it because you never know when they're going to put it out. They might shoot it. They might, you know, pay you for it and everything, but it never sees the light of day. And you kind of have to accept that's part of the journey. And, you know, being a business owner or when you deliver for someone, it kind of, you're handing it over to them and they own it. Definitely. So how did you find building your audience? I've never been too much of kind of a warrior in that sense. It's definitely grown organically. You know, I'm really happy with my followers that I've got and they're really engaged and they seem to really respect new content and really understand what it's about. And I'd always prefer that sometimes, I don't know if you find this, but sometimes if a brand regrams me, I'm like, oh no, I get a bit scared of like new people. Because <laughs> new for people me, coming yes, in, yes. And yeah. they don't get what you're about. And obviously for me, like we're renovating a house, which, you know, is so amazing and, you know, is so lucky it's stunning but then, as well. Oh, thank you. But then you get people that obviously haven't followed from the journey when, you know, we lived in one room and like cooked on like, you know, portable hobs yes. and oh. saved for years. And they just yeah. think that we obviously, you know, I've turned up to this house and I've bought it with a suitcase of cash and, you know, I'm being supported by my rich husband and, 
you know, and, and you, it's like you kind of always have to always do that disclaimer, I think. And that's, I suppose, the problem about being frugal is it, it means so much to different people. Yes. So I've always kind of more preferred to grow, you know, people come to me because they want to come to me and they know what I'm about from the get go. So I've, I've kind of done it very slowly and I'm terrible at SEO on my website. Me too. I'm the same. I can't be bothered with all of it and all the linking. No, I just think you lose your voice. SEO, I suppose, if anyone doesn't know, it's about making sure that you're in like those top pages on Google all the time. But it means that if you write a post on like, you know, your new boots and you have to kind of make sure you write winter boots and ankle heeled boots and sometimes I just want to talk about a pair of boots that I love and they're great yeah and I think people can actually see through that as well they really want to hear authentic voices and there's so many ways to grow now outside of SEO that you just need to push and make good consistent valuable content yeah definitely yeah you mentioned that you were decorating your home Yes. Um, and obviously, you know, it's all over, not all over your gram, but it's definitely on your Instagram. And I know that a lot of people who listen are thinking about buying a home, getting on the property ladder, particularly in London, and then they can't even fathom the decorating process. So could you share a little bit about your journey and how you can actually fund it or how you funded it? Well, I mean, what I would say is it's a very different time when we bought, actually, and when we were buy? very 2012, I think. Oh, okay, right, yeah. And it was it kind of coincided with you know we got pay rises, and I think when we were still working magazines, we were doing much better. And Chris had a different job, and and we bought a flat in basically a not great area, and basically it it over doubled its value the whole time. So I had this happen as well, yeah. So we were really lucky, and that's the problem. There is you know it's not the same story for everyone and I think Mm -hmm. definitely like you know millennials I'm not a millennial and um I think it's so much hard I mean the prices of property just from when we bought just uh, absolutely crazy I mean I couldn't yeah we couldn't afford to buy our first flat now at all for the price that it was it's mad and then when we were looking to buy a house we decided it was kind of time to move on and that's why I live in North London now so I couldn't I lived in Tooting. That was where, well, we bought kind of Collierswood Tooting area. And it was, this was before it had any trendy restaurants. This was before Honest Burger. Yeah. <laughs> Every time, like when Chicken Shop arrived, I was like, yay, it's going to bring <laughs> yeah. up the property price. But, you know, with gentrification has, you know, sadness with it because I couldn't afford to live there anymore. You know, we couldn't afford to get on, you know, the next property. And obviously my nan lived around there and you know, after she died, you know, that's a generation is gone, you know, and I think it's, you know, and I, it's kind of, it's completely changed from when she used to live there. So when we bought a house, we decided, I think my nan had passed away as well. And I was like, you know what, we don't have to live here in this area. I mean, I love it. And I would, I miss it terribly. My parents have always worked there. And, you know, I miss just seeing my parents, you know, around the corner all the time. My sister works at the shop, but we thought, oh, we don't need to necessarily stay. So we basically put our budget into like Zoopla and we just basically three places came up in the whole of London where we could afford to buy a house. (laughs) And that's where we looked. And we just looked in those areas. And where we live now, I'd never even been there. I hadn't even heard of it. That's so interesting to be able to move out of where you're used to. So for me, I've stayed in South London and I've kind of, actually, I was not too far away from Collierswood. I was in Mottsburg Park. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is like 10 minutes down the road-ish. And I've always been south-west London. And I've only moved towards another part. It's still south. Um, and it's always been a bit difficult. And the idea of north London feels like a completely different world to me. But I do think that people are going to have to move a bit further afield to yeah. be able to get what they want. And I think that London property is kind of at a premium now. But yeah. there's options outside of the kind of whole London area. Oh, definitely. And and actually, I think there's real amazing pockets of places. Like, I mean, I follow a lot of renovation accounts. And there's, yeah, people, I mean, I love period properties as well. And I love like the old details and old bones of a property and the architecture. And yeah, I follow loads of accounts of, yeah, places, people doing places up in Margate. And I'm like, oh, every, every now wow. and then I'm like, oh, do I want to live near the sea? It does look amazing. But I think, and as well, there's a real boom on social media for renovation accounts because no one can afford to buy a house done up. I mean, yeah. some people can, but generally a lot of us, you know, we have to get the most for your money as well. And I think that was one of the reasons that we looked for a, um, a property to do up because we made so much on our first flat. I was like, mm-hmm. we need to do that again because that's the only way we're going to make any <laughs> money. Because So buy low, sell more later. Or at least increase the value of it later. Yeah, exactly. And luckily, I mean, this house was so amazing. It was literally, I mean, it was literally like nothing else we saw. Everything else was just mediocre. It was fine. It was nice. Oh, we could live here. And then we saw this and I was like, are you kidding me that this is this price? Like, Are you kidding me? Like yeah. nothing, even no property on that road had gone for anything as cheap as we got it for. And I was like, okay, we need to do it. And it's kind of, hopefully it's going to be our forever home. So it's a you know, lifetime investment. So that's why we're renovating it slowly. And also because it was the top of our budget. So there's no, there was no extra money to do it up. So we've actually had to remortgage a couple of times since we've moved in. That's the only way we've done any renovations. We haven't saved for renovations. So this is a good piece of advice. Like Mm. if you find a really good house and you can handle like living with it and taking your time to renovate, then be patient and enjoy the process as as they would say I know living in a building site can be a bit difficult though isn't it oh yeah it's hideous but you forget <laughs> you do forget it you do forget you kind of remember and think oh I remember when we used to do that but we we didn't have any water in our house when we moved in and there was a tap outside we oh, moved gosh. in in like January yeah and I used to go outside and fill a bucket from an outside tap and then I'd have to carry it through to the toilet to fill up the cistern so that Ooh. I could wee. It was just terrible. And then Chris had to stand outside the door because the door didn't shut. We had builders in working on like pipes and plumbers. And this is a definition of like, you can't get there straight away, but I'm presuming that at the end of the day, like this is going to be the most gorgeous, completed, renovated house like of all time which would oh, be perfect definitely and yeah it's it's completely our taste and there's something so satisfying and we've learned so much through doing it as well just managing teams of builders but also you know Chris learned to lay a floor himself from YouTube <laughs> and you know like all of these things you have no idea about I mean it does take all of your spare time. I mean, we still paint every night at the moment till like midnight. With a baby on the way as well. I know. And, and that's, I did it last pregnancy as well. I was painting the night I went into labour. I'm like, gosh. Do you know what? There's something about being pregnant, I think, like genuinely, yeah. that makes you want to do that. Yeah. I had a loft renovation when I was pregnant and it was, it got completed 
four days before I went into labour. Yeah. And then this pregnancy, I also converted the garage as well. It's yeah. so weird. I, I genuinely think there's something, like, in our bones <laughs> that makes us do that. Or it's the hormones. Yeah, and also you're thinking about the future. Yeah. You know, and you're thinking, when I have a newborn, I can't do this. <laughs> you know, True. get out of the way. <laughs> exactly. So I'm going to ask you some quick fire questions. This is a drop and give me 20. Okay. So thinking fast or thinking slow? Thinking fast. Starting or finishing? Finishing. Learning or doing? Doing, probably at the expense of learning. Making it or making it perfect? Making it perfect annoyingly. Yeah, I'm a real oh, perfectionist. Really? It's really annoying, yeah. Oh, see. I'm, I'm a done is better than perfect person. Yeah, that's good. I think it's a good way to be. Cooking or ordering in? Cooking. The last book you read you loved was? I Am Not Your Baby Mother by Candice Braithwaite. She's a brilliant writer. Favourite city in the world? Kyoto. Favourite Instagram to follow? I love Candice Braithwaite. Frugality to you means? For me, it means saving up for something and not being ashamed to, you know, not spend on other things because you're saving up. It's not a failure if? It's not a failure if you've learnt something, I suppose. Having balance is about? Not worrying about having balance. Ooh, I like that. The next big thing you want to achieve is? A really enjoyable, relaxed maternity leave. Are you going to take time off? I would like to take three months. And I said that last time and it didn't quite happen. And I think I'm really going to be much stricter this time. You have to be. And I'd like to take definitely a solid month off of social completely. The last time you felt genuinely scared to do something? This. <laughs> Just putting yourself out there, isn't it? The best piece of financial advice you've ever received? Just about thinking about the future I think it's really easy to just not worry about the future and as scary as it is that doesn't necessarily need to be anything wrong with thinking about the future it doesn't mean you have to commit to anything fully it doesn't mean you're going to die next week but I think it definitely paving the way and just being more mindful about things understanding that the present you also has to deal with the future you with money so thinking about that person always helps and if someone handed you a million pounds tomorrow, what's the first thing you would do with it? I'd pay the mortgage off. I'd pay off our credit card debt from our kitchen. <laughs> just, yeah, just all those things that basically I, I, you'd have more money, disposable income to actually spend on things that you love. This last section, which is what's in my wallet. We're going to get a little bit personal talking about your money situation but we're not going to be crass it's not going to be too much information <laughs> how do you stay on top of your finances and what are some of the tools or resources or accounts you follow to help you it's quite simple I just check my bank every day and it it's just that's all I do but I just always know roughly what comes out and especially the um where both of our money goes in I just I always just try and add up and think oh okay so even after all our bills come out we'll still have hundred pounds in there I just like to check counts to follow I mean there's there's loads now it's amazing there's so many <laughs> yeah so I mean I, I like money medics is a good one um there's a woman called Claire who does my frugal year the break I love what you're doing I think it's amazing um there's one called Vestpod, and it's just it's amazing how just having a few kind of 
yeah, quotes and people sharing things really just helps enlighten you how other people manage their money as well. What's your salary? How did you set it for yourself? So you work for yourself and are you due a pay rise? Well, we did actually just discuss this. So me and my husband, we earn the same. So then we yeah. kind of know where we are with finances. So we both earn £30,000 which again is a mixture of wage and dividends and I do the same thing as well yeah but yes we we earn that and I mean that's more money I've ever earned in my life like I'm so happy with that like just the fact that I can pay myself that and you know we can pay both pay ourselves that and we both you know can live on that easily and comfortably and still afford a holiday occasionally you know it's it's great and we set that because that's what we're happy with and that's what we can budget for I'm used to that and then my company earns more um, but I use that to get freelancers on board and pay everyone fairly and I pay everyone that works for me if they write something for the site or we do talks and you know and I kind of I don't haggle (laughs) for fees I, I try and that's what I work for. That's what success is to, for me, just being able sure. to kind of spend money and help um, empower people and women who work for me. And then we probably argue a pay rise because we've, we had to get a loan to pay for some of our kitchen um, because of COVID-19. Uh, yeah. <laughs> definitely, it was just a bit more of a struggle. So we got a, a loan. So we're going to we're thinking about paying ourselves, like not much, but just however much that loan is per month, like £100. So we're going to try and do that. I love that. No, I do the same thing. Set myself a salary, leave the rest of the money in the business and then pay all the people who are helping the magic happen. Yeah, exactly. It's amazing. So what's your main tip for how to be more frugal or mindful about money without compromising on what you want? Really knowing your money and understanding what makes you happy. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with a pair of shoes making you happy. I'll give that an amen. But understanding what brings you happiness from your money is the most important thing. For me, it definitely was shoes and clothes and holidays. And now it's much more a family meal in a restaurant, five o'clock in the afternoon. (laughs) Um, Or like, you know, a nice little weekend away in the UK mini break or something. I think that's the difference. And I think that's what's important as long as you prioritize what makes you happy then you can work out what frivolous things are amazing well it's been great to talk to you alex i think you've given us so much advice so much info i think people should definitely follow you i know that your instagram handle's changing maybe so you guys have to check out alex you can google her name find out more about her see her beautiful aesthetic instagram but also you know frugal website (laughs) so make sure you guys check that out Thank you so much for listening and we're not done yet. If you like what you've heard and want to hear more, please don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or whatever you're listening on. If you like the Court of Guard podcast, tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. Please share the podcast on your social media or in your WhatsApp groups and let me know your thoughts on what we've discussed using the hashtag Court of Guard pod. Follow me and The Break on Instagram and YouTube and you can just Google me. Also, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps more people find us. And I'd love to know what future guests you'd like me to interview and what topics you'd like us to discuss. So keep all your suggestions coming. I read all your comments and I really appreciate your feedback and support. So until next time. Quote. 
Caught Off Guard, presented by The Break Platform, is an independent podcast created and hosted by Patricia Bright. The producer and executive producer is Clarissa Pappy.